Would you open your Bibles to Isaiah 8? Today's sermon is Sanctuary, Stone, or Snare. We'll be picking up where Martin left off last week in verse 11. And you'll remember the context here. Judah has just turned to Assyria for help against the Syrian kingdom and the northern kingdom of Israel. And so the first part of the chapter that Martin preached on last week is prophetically telling us of the fact that Assyria will, in fact, destroy Damascus and Syria. And Assyria will, in fact, destroy Samaria and Israel. But the next section of the chapter dives deeper into not only the judgment that Jerusalem will experience, but also, more generally, how a right relationship with God is to be had. So let's pray. We'll turn to the text. Father, we thank you today for your word and for your great gift to us in it. Would you speak to us through it? Would you teach us through it? Would you give us grace to conform our lives to it? Would you open our ears and open our hearts to hear what you have to say this morning? And open up our wills to be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 8, starting in verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me, with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. When they are hungry, they will be enraged. and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. So, we uh, just got back from this whitewater rafting trip, and you've already heard a lot of um, rock talk this morning, and um, I hope you're okay with that because you're going to hear a lot more rock talk um, through this sermon and 
we'll sing another song about uh, God as our rock. And so that's the theme for today, that God is our rock. And so what I want to look at is um, how is that true? What does that mean for us? And the central question for us is going to be, what kind of rock is God going to be for us? The title is Sanctuary, Stone, or Snare. God can be a rock of sanctuary, a place where you can be sheltered, where you have peace. Or it can be a rock that crushes you under condemnation. So today, I want to answer the question, how can you have peace with God? How can you be sheltered by God as your rock? Instead of the alternative, which is being under his judgment. So, uh, we'll start by looking at verse 11. In verse 11, Isaiah actually sets up this dichotomy. He says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. So, the strong hand of the Lord is a prophetic term, first and foremost, in this context. Uh, this is the protection of the Lord in Isaiah's words. We know that when the strong hand of the Lord is on Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking the prophetic and true word of God. But uh, even broader than that, the strong hand of the Lord signifies the type of relationship that Isaiah has with God. So, when the hand of the Lord is on you in a good way, it's a sign of God's strength. It's a sign of God's protection. That's why in Chronicles, if you've ever heard the prayer of Jabez in Chronicles, Jabez actually prays that God's hand would be upon him. And so, for the righteous person, the hand of God is a welcome presence because it's protection. It guards you. It strengthens you. But the hand of the Lord is also a sign of judgment. And if the hand of the Lord is on you... Um, in a bad way, if you're out of communion with God and his hand is upon you, that's bad news. And so, ultimately, the, at the core of what the hand of the Lord is, that's a sign of God's presence. And if you remember the last couple weeks, we've been talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And you'll notice at the beginning of verse 11, there's the word for, which is kind of pointing back to the thing right before that. And the last word there in verse 10 is Emmanuel, God with us. So God is with us for the Lord spoke thus to me. And so you'll notice that relationship. And so the question for us is not whether God is with us, because God is with us. He sent his son uh, to be incarnate with us. He sends his Holy Spirit to guide and guard us. And he reigns and holds the world together by his word. So the question is not whether God is with us. The question is, how is he with us? Well, he gives us a way to determine this. Um, there's a series of warnings and commands in verses 12 and 13 that help us determine where we are in relation to God. Verse 12 and 13, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. So we have three warnings and three commands in parallel. Warnings, do not call conspiracy what this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear 
and do not dread. On the other hand, what you should do is glorify God, honor him as holy, fear God, and dread God. Now, you may notice that fear and fear make sense, and dread and dread make sense, but if, if you look at calling conspiracy what this people calls conspiracy and honoring God as holy, that doesn't really line up. But it's supposed to catch you off guard. It's supposed to be jarring. Because what happens when we get caught up in conspiracies? What happens when we start uh, listening to the whispers of the people around us? Listening to um, what our favorite politicians or newscasters say? We glorify their explanations. See, we we have this innate tendency to look for answers, to look for explanations of the things we see going on around us. We look to politicians, TV preachers, Facebook. And I don't know who you like to listen to, but no matter what they say, they don't know the future. They, they don't have any special prophetic knowledge. They don't have any insights that aren't available to the rest of us. All they can do is guess. They do not know the future. They do not know God's plans. So I, I used to listen to a lot of political podcasts and things like that, but recently I just had to kind of stop. Because, and we all have this tendency, I, I listen to stuff that I agree with, and the reality is that it, doesn't, it never changes my mind, right? It just makes me mad. And it doesn't do me any good to listen to somebody that I agree with yell at me about how they're right. And so, uh, I want to be holy, and I I hope that you want to be holy too. And if if you want to be holy, if you want to be in a right relationship with God, you have to glorify God with your ears, not just with your lips, with your whole life, which includes what you consume. And so, are you glorifying conspiracies? Are you glorifying stories? I heard the term this weekend, doom scrolling, is where you get on Twitter and scroll forever and read horrible news stories all day. But there's a place to find truth. It's here in your Bible. It's here in this church where we build each other up. We sanctify each other through the Holy Spirit. And so, turn off the TV, log out of Facebook, and listen to what God has to say, because he does know the future. He, he has the truth, and uh, he actually has the power to save your soul. Sure, be informed. It's good to know what's going on, but you don't need to have an opinion on everything. You do need to have an opinion on God and what your relationship with him actually looks like. So those are the three warnings and the three commands. They stand in parallel. Who do you fear? Who do you dread? Who do you glorify? Is it the people of this world and their ideas? Or is it God? And that determines what kind of relationship you're in. So look at verses 14 and 15. We'll examine some of these relationships. Verse 14. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare 
to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So we have another set of three. God can be a sanctuary. He can be a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. Or he can be a trap and a snare. So let's look at each of these. First, God can be a sanctuary. For those who trust in God, and for those who do his will, God's presence is a sanctuary. It's a welcome presence. It's a relationship of shalom, of everlasting peace. And God's hand covers us and protects us as a sanctuary. Notice that this is kind of interesting, and it's foreshadowing what's happening later in the verse, but notice that God is speaking in third person here. He says, speaking of himself, that he will become a sanctuary. And this, is, this isn't a mistake. It's a reference to Jesus. And that, that'll become clear later. But I just wanted you to catch that in verse 14. We're already speaking of the second person of the Trinity. But the Hebrew term here means the place where God dwells. And in other words, God is suggesting that he will become his own sanctuary. Which is a little confusing, a little unnatural, right? The sanctuary is like the place where God lives. It's, it's not God himself. That'd be like you saying, I'm going to become my own house, right? You can't live in yourself. But again, 700 years after this prophecy was given to Isaiah, God did take up residence in flesh. And the Son of Man became the Son of God. So in a very real sense, God did become his own sanctuary. And he took up residence in Jesus. True God and true man. So if we're in a right relationship with God, if we're in communion with God, what we get is we get to join him in his house. We get to take up residence in Christ and have union with Christ. And we get to experience the fruit of his righteousness. We get to experience the peace that he achieved. And to us, he's a sanctuary. This is what happens when he binds us together in the Holy Spirit. This is why we're part of the body of Christ. Because in the body of Christ, in the place where God dwells, there's peace. There's shalom. So that's the first relationship. God is a sanctuary. I'm actually going to skip the stone and come back to it. But let's look at the snare first. Because the sanctuary is this good relationship. There's a bad relationship. A scary relationship where God is a snare. So there are those who have the presence of God but are not in communion with him. And instead of coming to his tabernacle, they come to his presence as a snare or a trap. These are the people that are under the condemnation of God. These people are given ample opportunity to repent, to turn to God in faith, Instead, they turn their backs on God and flee from him. But, as you well know, it's not that easy to flee from God. If you remember Jonah, God woke him up one day and said, you're going to go to Nineveh? He said no, and he tried to run away. And God trapped him, literally, in the belly of a fish for three days. And so if we think... I'm not going to worry about that. I don't really like what God says. So I'm going to run the other direction. Understand that 
you can't get out of his snare. There is nowhere to go without God. There's no fleeing God. You're going to be in his presence whether you like it or not. So seek communion with him. And so what we have, we have a good relationship in the sanctuary, right? We're in communion with God. We're, we have peace with God. We have joy. And on the other hand, God functions as a snare. We're in his trap. We're under his condemnation. But there's a third category that stands between these, where God is a stone. And this actually goes both ways. I mentioned this earlier. And this is why this is the central thing. A stone can be a place of refuge, a place where you hide. It can crush you. But specifically, what Isaiah is talking about here is a stumbling stone. And if, if, if God is a stone to you, it means you're not in communion with him, but you're not entirely consigned to his judgment. So you'll notice that there's, there's actually two words here. It's rock of offense and stone of stumbling. It's because there's two Hebrew words that appear there. The first is evan, which is a, a sort of generic term for rock. If you see rock in the Old Testament, it probably is that word. But the second word is zur, which is almost exclusively, I think the only exception is the book of Job, it's almost exclusively used to refer to God. And the first appearance of that word is in Exodus 17. So this is uh, the story of the people, they've fled Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, they go into the wilderness, they don't have water. So they start complaining. What would you do if you are in the desert? You would start complaining. They complain to Moses, they grumble to Moses, that they don't have any water to drink. God has promised him protection. God has promised that he would take care of them, but instead of trusting him and having faith, they start complaining. So Moses goes to God and says, these people, this is a funny pun here, he says, these people are about to stone me. And um, so Moses, Moses goes to God and God says, okay, there's a big rock out there. What I want you to do, a big zor, what I want you to do is go out there, I'm going to stand on this rock, and you're going to strike the rock, and water's going to come out. So Moses goes, and he, he does this ceremony that God told him to do with the elders of Israel, and before all the people, and water comes out. Water flows out of the rock. Now, I, I can't get into all the details here, but um, just to give you context here, and, and kind of the point is that Moses' staff is striking the rock in judgment. That's what that is a symbol of. Moses is judging this rock that God is standing on. And so what is happening is Moses is actually judging the people through this rock. But God stands between them, and this act of judgment of striking the rock becomes an act of mercy and flowing water. And the problem is, this doesn't make any sense, right? It, it doesn't make any sense for um, a judge to stand in the way and to offer mercy when a people deserve punishment. And it's, it trips them up, right? And this is, this is the stone of stumbling idea. I, I remember one time I was, I, I used to ride a bike on campus when I was in college. 
And um, one day, I, it was after dark, it wasn't that late, but it was, it was dark. And I was riding my bike across campus. And I was on that road uh, that kind of ends between Montgomery and McCool, and I was going to go on the bricks there. And I decided to cut through on the sidewalk to hop up on the bricks and go toward my dorm on the north side of campus. But I didn't know there was a step there. And so it's dark, I'm riding my bike, probably too fast, and I hit this concrete step. And you can imagine what happened. I didn't keep riding my bike, I flipped over the handlebars and crashed. And... But I'll tell you this, I have never forgotten that step is there. And the tripping action, the, the stumbling action over that step got my attention. And so this is what, what Peter actually explains in 1 Peter about this passage. He says, the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what Peter is getting at and what Isaiah is getting at is that uh, this stone of stumbling is supposed to wake you up. It's supposed to tell you that you're walking down the wrong path. This is a dangerous way to go. But there's a way out. And so God, the rock, the Zor, is actually Jesus. And why would we stumble against it? It's because the story doesn't make any sense. It's because Jesus, God, the Son of God, took on flesh, became man, and went so far as to die for us. It, in our human terms, that's totally illogical. That runs against everything that we know. But it's a warning to us. It's supposed to catch our attention and grab us and tell us that we're on the wrong path. Paul mentions this again in Romans 9 when he's talking about God's providence and salvation. He refers back to the same verse in Isaiah to explain why certain Jews were not being saved. It's because they stumbled over the rock, but they didn't heed it. They were warned, but they stopped their ears. They said, I don't want any of that. And so when you're tripped up by the rock, you have two options. You can either get back up, turn around, and go to the rock as a place of safety and of peace. Or you can let it crush you. You can let yourself be ensnared. So today, if you keep finding yourself tripped up by doubt, if you're unclear on this whole church thing, on this whole Jesus thing, if you don't understand why God set the things up the way that they're set up, that's a good thing. God is getting your attention. It's God's call to you to trust in him. So don't try to run away from the rock. That's not going to work. Go ahead and trip over it. Let yourself be warned because God is gracious and he's calling you into his sanctuary. You'll notice in verses 14 and 15, God is a rock of stumbling and a stone of offense to both houses of Israel. But then he's a snare to Jerusalem. Why is that? Well, this is kind of a spoiler, but 
The way the story goes is Assyria comes, destroys Israel, destroys Syria, and eventually they turn their sights on Jerusalem. And the Assyrian army comes all the way up to the gates of Jerusalem and sieges Jerusalem. And Hezekiah the king doesn't know what to do, so he just prays. And then the angel of the Lord goes out into the camp and kills 185,000 Assyrians, and they run away. And so, if this is not a warning, I don't know what is. They were almost conquered, but God comes in and saves them in a miraculous way. And for a time, they repented. For a time, they turned back to God. But it only lasted a few years. So they heeded the stumbling block temporarily. They didn't stick to it. And they fell back into the Lord's trap. Literally, when Babylon came and took them into captivity and snared them and dragged them away. And so the question for you is who is God for you? See, your sanctuary your stone, or your snare. For most of you, I, I imagine that he's probably your sanctuary. And I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you to continue to run to him for peace. Continue to cling to him for protection. Cling to him for your salvation and your sanctification. For some of you, he's a stone. He's calling you out. He's calling you to himself. And I encourage you, in light of that, to listen to his call. Heed his call. Repent. And don't fall into his snare. Because communion with God is sweet and glorious. And he can give you peace. You can trust in him as an, as an unmovable rock, as a strong rock. And he actually has the power to save you. Remember that and cling to him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.